Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jane Halton. Jane is Group Database and Contact Center Manager at the Chapel House Motor Group. Jane's been there for just over 10 years, almost 11 years. Yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into the team there and understanding some of the challenges and successes that you've achieved over your time there. Um, Rather than me doing all of the introduction and the details behind your work, I think it seems only fair for yourself to do that, Jane. So would you like to give us a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Yes. So as you've said, my name's Jane. I work for our group. We are Chapel House Motor Company and we're based in the northwest of England. We do have 10 dealerships around the northwest. So I am based mainly in our call centre, but I also work for our group. So my particular role is quite multitasking. I am officially the database and contact centre manager, but I'm also the data protection officer. And I also do a lot of the group training. So my role is quite varied, but that gives me lots of great different aspects to be around the whole company and the business. And I learn a lot. I'm involved in the after sales side of the business and the sales side of the business. I've been with Chapel House a long time, but I've always been in the motor trade my whole career. I started off in the motorcycle business before I came to the car business. So I worked with Yamaha for a number number of years and learned a lot going through that I found that bike and the car is actually very different even though it's all motor trade it is completely different it's a completely different kind of customer the bike trade is much more relaxed where the car trade is much more shirts and ties and very professional so that was a very big difference when I first joined the motor trade but I've been doing this quite a long time now but I find as well now doing both the database and the call centre side of my role. The database, I manage our CRM system. So I keep all our customers up to date, pull all the data from our systems. We use p- typical motor trade systems. It's quite old. It's called Kerridge. It's very dated, but it's what a lot of the motor trades use. But I actually started in this business as a sales administrator and I've worked my way up. I'm now part of the senior management team. So in the 10 years that I've been here, I've worked up to database manager, then call centre as well. When GDPR came along, I became the data protection officer. So there's lots of different aspects to my role every day. Excellent. That sounds like a cap with many, many feathers in it. And I think one of the interesting things for me, so I've had a similar journey myself. So I started off on the front lines in the contact centre, working for a large energy company. And one of the things that's always stuck with me is the various exposures to the different mechanisms within the business was a real advantage to me in the role that I now do. I'm going to go ahead and assume that you've got a similar sort of view. You've got the view of both the customer data that backs up all of the business decisions, but you've also got exposure to the front lines and the temperature of the shop floor, for want of a better phrase. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, definitely. Especially now, I have recently moved into working alongside a lot of the sales teams. So this is quite a new aspect to my role. I've only been doing this for the past 12 months. 
But now I've become part of the senior management team. They're trying to get me out into all the businesses and being face to face with the teams and actually visiting the, the dealerships, meeting with the actual teams on site, seeing what things they come across. That's made a big difference to my knowledge because I was very much after sales. So opening up the sales side of things as well has improved things so much. Like every day is different now because I can use their little skills and their little tools. And then I can also use our after sales skills and tools and help them with just to, to do prove on their techniques. That resonates quite a lot because I remember in some of the roles I've had previously, both sales and after sales, there was, I won't say rivalry, that's perhaps unfair or extreme, but there's the perception that the two sides can sometimes be opposing. The salesperson has promised this or has said this, and then it transpires that that's either been misunderstood or something along those lines. And again, having that insight into both sides of the coin, I guess, allows you to bridge that gap between those two potentially conflicting kind of drivers. Yes, definitely. I mean, I'm also doing a lot of the training now with the sales team. So when we get a new person that joins the business, I'll visit them on site, set them all up with all the usernames and I'll actually do the training. So there's a lot of stuff that we've come across in the after sales department where a salesperson has overpromised and then we're then dealing with the issue of that on the other side of it. So by doing that training, I can explain how that can have the knock-on impact So that has alleviated a lot of those initial problems that we used to face. And it's interesting that, again, from my experience, and I'm hoping you'll back me up here, but feel free to call me out. But the we talk a lot within the industry, within the contact center industry about resilience and about well-being and so on and so forth. And I find it really interesting the degree of resilience that sales, particularly sales users or people of that kind of role, the resilience that they have is absolutely amazing. Are there there opportunities there perhaps within the organization, within business to understand what those resilience things are and draw them into other areas of the business? Oh, definitely. Going around the dealerships now and being in all the different departments, everybody does things slightly different even branch to branch, like one after sales manager would like things one way, another after sales manager would like things another way. So we're constantly working with all different ways of how somebody wants it. And then unfortunately, you know, we'll a manager will leave and we'll get somebody else and they'll want it a different way. So there's lots and lots of different, I think the one thing that we've learned in our contact center is that you just have to be able to change. You have to be able to not be kind of set in your ways And we try to keep things very similar across the board, but they've had to build up really good relationships with the sites, the sales managers, with the staff on there. And what we also do as part of our business, because our contact center agents, they look after a specific site's data, they actually spend a day a month at that site. So they go visit the site. And then because we are an extension of their teams, we're not an individual body call center is an extension of 13 so to build that relationship and to get that good communication they go and spend either a few hours or a full day it's also it's really good for them because they can see we're not perfect we make mistakes but they can also see what then the impact have them mistakes happen have so if we book a customer incorrectly or give them the wrong date and that customer turns up on the wrong date that they can see that impact as well. 
so they have a better understanding all around of how the whole business works. And we found that really benefits everybody. It makes them not just a person on the phone. It puts a face to the name. It humanizes them. And also for them, they know then who they're speaking to, who they're ringing up, and it just builds that relationship. And it's worked really, really well for us to keep that momentum and keep that communication levels going. Absolutely. And there's two critical aspects of that that really resonate, particularly for me, that you framed it in a really interesting way there. And the first of those is clarity of communication and effective communication. These these disparate groups with the same business overall business goal, but perhaps differentiated micro goals, if you like, they've got their different objectives. So the effective communication that has to happen there is got to be really significant, particularly when you've got those conflicting desires of particular individuals want something done in a particular way, which may not be the usual process, but you're trying to make sure that those are all managed. How do you go about establishing those open channels of really effective communication to build that culture? We always start off, if we get a new manager in the business, I will tend to often visit them because I have to do that as part of the training anyway. But we will try and visit them. We will try and set up calls. We try and get our the advisor into that dealership quite early on. We also have a rota where every single service manager has to visit us. And we do that because if, unless you're in the call centre, you don't know how it's going to work. So what they think is happening and what is happening is very different. So when we send out our figures every day, it might look like we've only done 10 calls for the dealership, but actually we've done 110 calls for them, but we've got 100 voicemails. And trying to get people to actually understand that. So what we always do is we'll get each service manager to come and spend a couple of hours with us, sit with their advisor, do a few calls with them. And also it helps my advisors build up that technical knowledge because my advisors, they're not technically trained. They know a car, obviously. They know registration numbers and things like that. But there's certain aspects that we wouldn't have a clue. The customer rings up and asks, asks for a certain thing. They've got a certain light on the dashboard. We don't always know what that light means. And instead of having to then try and put them through to the dealership when they're so busy, it gives us that little bit of knowledge. We can ask that service manager when they're on site, right, what does this mean? What does this mean? How do I help this customer? And it just builds their technical knowledge as well as the communication aspect and the chance to get to know that person on a personal level. I know we are very lucky in this because we're all based quite close together. Most of our dealerships are 30 miles apart. They're not, we're only, we are only a small group. So we're very, very lucky that we can do this. But I find it so beneficial. And just for them to come and sit and see what we do. And then they understand us then. They understand where we're coming from when we're saying, this is an issue, we need it sorting. They then understand the reason why that's an issue for us. So it is really beneficial. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's really interesting that you've touched on that establishing culture by bringing the different areas together. And it's something that's been touched on in previous conversations I've had, previous episodes, whereby the idea was to not only bring the customer to every aspect of the business, but to also bring every aspect of the business to each other. Because then there's that shared objective, understanding of the role and ensuring that everyone gets, this is where I'm going, this is how I'm trying to get there. And I think that that speaks volumes to establishing a really powerful culture, establishing a community within the business. I understand that 
from research that I've read that that has a huge impact on things like retention as well. Have you seen that kind of play out from your side as well? Oh, definitely. It's not just customer retention as well. It's 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 agent retention. We've been very lucky that we have agents that have been here a very long time. And that's because of the relationships that we build. And also, I think as well, my management skill is probably slightly different to a lot of people in a call centre role. I will go into that a little bit more, but I don't micromanage people. I don't use boards, um, red lights flashing, things like that. I find none of that works for me. I'm not personally from a call centre background. Um, I've come up through the sales admin route, so I've never had that background. So I think maybe that's why I don't manage the way a lot of call centres run. But I also find my techniques work and they work because my team work for me. Yes, they work for Chapel House, but they work for me. So I found that side of things really helps with keeping the staff. Like I say, all my staff have been with me quite a long time. But also having building those relationships and supporting them with them relationships with the sites helps build the relationship with the site and also helps build the customer attention. If we're going through the customer's and they've had a specific issue with a specific site, we can then address that because we know that manager. We know how far they're willing to go. Like some managers will happily discount, some managers will happily do collection deliveries. But if we've got that relationship and we've got that good focus, we know then how far that manager will happily go to get that car on the ramp. So we don't have to pick the phone up and put the customer on hold to get through to that manager. We can manage that. Because I think it's beneficial because I've been here a long time. I know a lot of the managers very, very well. So I can happily say on their behalf, right, okay, I know they'll do 10% on that. So just discount it 10%. I can make those calls. And they also respect me to know that if I've made a call on a decision with a discount or a collection, or they know that I've made that in the right reason. I've not just gone straight in with that. We've tried to help the customer and keep them retained. And that's what we've had to do to sell that service. So we've got that relationship where they know I've made that call for a reason. So it helps them not get annoyed at my team because they know we've done the right thing. And I also know how far they're willing to discount and go to get to retain that customer. So That makes sense. And in fact, I suppose if we're talking about that side of things, it's worth kind of considering as well on the sleeve up the conceits and constraints that, that you've got in play on the customer side. But then you've got, I suppose, the rewards and benefits that you've got on your staff side as well. And it's interesting, you know, the motivation aspect can tie in quite strongly to the benefits, but also that cultural aspect plays a part in the retention of staff as well as you've gone into. The key question, I suppose, then is how can you leverage appropriate benefits to feed into motivating your team as part of a broader cultural thing rather than it feeling just kind of sometimes tacked on? I've worked in teams previously where it's felt like the reward is very much tacked on. It's just a do this thing, get this, but it's felt isolated. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. We have a very, very good commission structure in our team and a lot of the things is worked by a commission. So the team knows exactly what they have to do. And when I get a new team member, I actually learned this trick by visiting a different call centre because I've not come from a call centre background. We have an outside business who provides us with um, products for our upsell. 
And I got quite friendly with the gentleman who run the team. And he actually arranged for me to go and visit a massive call centre in Birmingham. So we went there for the day. We met with the teams and we kind of shared best practice. And one of their best practices was because around a commission structure. When you have an agent start with you for the first time, on the first day, I always sit them down and say, right, okay, how much do you want to earn a year? Like, forget what your basic salary is. How much do you want to earn for the year? And they'll say, hmm, about 25 grand. And I'm like, is that all? <laughs> and they're like, well, what do you mean? So we'll kind of come up with a realistic amount of what they'd like to earn. And we'll then sit down and we'll work that out with the commission structure, what that relates to a day. So how many bookings per day? How many tune-ups, upsells per day? How many service plan sales per day? And we'll work that out to a daily amount. So how they can actually earn that potential. And when they see how easy it is, to earn like 35, 40 grand and they're like, really? You earn that much money? And then what, what we do every month is we plot this on a daily basis on the board. So we have a big board. We don't have these TVs with red and everything. We have a big board, which we monitor every day. And we put the targets on that for the month. And we also put like how many upsells they've done. So how much then commission they've earned so far that month. Um, we found this motivates the team the best because they can see day to day exactly where they're up to. We split it to a daily amount. So we've got how many bookings per day they need, how many upsells per day they need, how many service plan sales per day they need. And then we mark it off when they hit that target for the day. So each month we sit down and we do like a little 10 minute review where we are this month, have they hit the targets? And if they haven't hit the targets, if they're a little bit behind, what then they need to pull out the bag for next month to get back onto that earning target. So we tend to set their targets around what they want to earn, not necessarily what we need for them. Don't get me wrong, we need certain levels for from them, but we also push them to hit their own targets and set their own targets by how much they want to earn. And when they realise the potential, it massively motivates them. Commission isn't all we do. We do lots of other little things. So we have three little spot prizes a month and what I'll do is we do that tend to be on the bookings but some months we do it on our upsell some months we do it on service plans but it's mainly around bookings so say we need 2,000 bookings a month for example I will pick three numbers in my and I'll write them down in a little envelope and what we'll do throughout the month when somebody hits that particular number so it's not individual it's the group the next person to get that particular number wins a spot prize so it can go from anything to a can of pop and sauce and sweets to a signed rugby shirt. So it can go from numerous different things and they all know this is coming. They don't know what the numbers are. There's only me that knows that. So as we're going through the month, I can say, oh, we might get a bit close today. There might be a prize today. So that works them a bit more. And then I'm like, oh, we didn't quite get there. It was going to come tomorrow. So we do little spot prizes through the month. At Christmas, we do an Advent challenge. We have a big sack, what we call Santa's sack, and we fill it with rubbish. <laughs> we fill it with yo-yos and sweets and crisps. And for the girls, we have nail polishes and lipsticks and just little bits of things. But whoever sells the most upsell that day gets to pick a prize. And the lads love the yo-yos. <laughs> but it just keeps things really fun and it keeps it motivated and it keeps it fresh. And that's the hardest thing with us. Working in a call centre, everybody knows you get numerous people. We're an outbound call centre. 
So we get numerous voicemails after voicemail after voicemail. And sometimes their mood can go a little bit low in the afternoon. So it's trying to keep that focus and keep them motivated and having all these little prizes and different things just, just keeps them going. It's really interesting that you've mentioned that. It was one of the things that I wanted to bring up, particularly within a sales contact centre or a support contact centre. But you do see across the industry is you see these peaks and troughs of various levels of the business and throughout the course of the day, week, month, year, from overall performance of the business all the way down to an individual level. And I kind of think of it as like breathing in the contact center, you take these breaths in and breaths out. And one of my questions that you just answered really nicely, I think, is how you encourage that continued drive when you do start to feel a little bit breathless. I think that combination of that culture and the communication and that fun that you have to inject into it, it all feeds into that, which I find really, really interesting. On that note, though, I'm just going to unpack one of the other questions that I had. Within a team, and I've seen this personally. So within a team, you always have your top flight team members who hit absolutely everything all the time. And then you've got those who somewhat struggle sometimes and other times do very, very well. How do you ensure a team mentality that's got a collective winner's mindset rather than it becoming down to an individual? Um, I mean, we have individual targets and we also have a group target. And we do have one particular member of staff that absolutely smashes it out of the ballpark every single month. Um, they're earning a few grand commission every month, and that's noted on the board. And then we have other members of staff who are just not as experienced, not as good at the sales technique. But what I tend to do is I have our top sellers mentor a little bit. So we are quite a small team, and we are all based in the one office. So we're quite lucky in that respect they kind of listen out for little things on the calls and we do little bits of mentoring sessions. Also what we do, so our managing director, every now and again we'll pop in and he'll sit us all in the boardroom and he'll play a few calls between the teams and we'll have it as a little game. So we'll play some of the calls and the little game is we have to all write down on a little pad, write three good points about that call and three bad points about the call. And when this first started, everybody was like, oh, no, no, don't let it be my call. Don't let it be my call. And it was very like, oh, I don't want to hear my voice. And But now they actually find it really good because they're like, oh, I did that really well. And oh, I could have done that better. But it makes them think. And because the managing director is sat in front of them saying this, I mean, we're lucky because our managing director used to be the group after sales manager and it's his way up the business. So we've got a very, very, very good relationship with him. So that's why he tends to come in and do this because it's something he started when he joined the business. And like I say, when it first started, they really wasn't into it. But now it's become a real challenge and they look forward to that session and they look forward to pleasing him in a way. It's like, oh, I did that really well. But as well, it lets the other people know, because if you can listen to both sides of the call, then you can understand it a little bit better. And each one of my team do things very, very differently. We're not scripted because I don't find that works very well um, for us personally. We're trying to build that rapport with each customer and every customer is different. We have multi-franchises in our business as well. So some franchises, the customers are different categories to other franchises. So nothing, scripting just doesn't work for us. But we'll find by playing these calls and making little notes about what was good about the call, what could have been better, what was slightly negative, 
people learn different ways of how others are dealing with things. And then that gives that them the incentive and the knowledge to think, oh, I remember Adam said this. Well, I'll say that. <laughs> and it really works. And we do listen to the others. And we always, if somebody's particularly struggling, we always say communicate, communicate, communicate. Don't sit there and struggle. Put your hand up. Shout one of us. We will always help you. Because the senior members of the team will always help the newer members. We have quite a new girl with us who was actually in the sales department, wasn't happy there, didn't really like it, and has come and joined us in the call centre. And she's doing really, really well. But she does need that little bit of extra support because she's not done it. So some of the other guys are jumping on when they hear on the calls. They're just like, oh, that's it. <laughs> so it's just that little bit of mentoring, really. We find that really works. And listening to calls as a group. That's again, that's been one of the themes that's come through from a few of the conversations that I've had over previous episodes. It's those um, call leveling sessions, essentially, where everybody actually just sits around and has a really open and honest conversation. It's fantastic to hear that the MD is actually involved in those conversations. I really like that, especially when it's someone who is like yourself at that level within that kind of hierarchy of the business and is showing an interest in the front line of the business as well. Which leads in actually to some really interesting concepts. And I suppose the contact center industry has gone through this huge transformation over the last three years, probably as a result of global events, shall we say. And we've kind of gone through remote working and hybrid working. And many contact centers are still in that space and still working that out. But I wonder, thinking more broadly, in terms of contact centers and where we've come from and the perceptions, et cetera, et cetera, you know, it's a skilled job now. It is, it, you've got to have a very, very key skill set to be able to do the role. And as customer expectations have increased and as customer demands have increased, as an industry, we, I feel like, very broadly speaking, we've been successful in rising to those expectations. I suppose as we look forward into where we are now and moving into the future, how do you see that changing? What are your expectations over the, maybe not the next year, but the next several years? And role does the technology play in driving that, do you feel? I think technology plays a, a really big role in it. Our technology is changing all the time. I mean, I've been the contact centre manager for seven years. And in that seven years, technology has come on leaps and bounds. So it does play a really big part in it. But I think, like you say, Customer expectations are very different. There's many, many different ways a customer will now interact with us. It's not just telephone now. We deal a lot with text messages. We have online chat facilities now, which is all quite new. So there's so many different ways now that a customer will interact with us. They don't always want to pick up the phone. They don't always want to talk. They don't always want to email. So all these different platforms now that allow you to do all this interacting with customers in so many different ways is really beneficial especially for the younger generation as well the younger generation are very tech savvy they all want to just be able to send a message to book in they don't want to be have to phone up they want it instantly they want to be able to go online at one o'clock in the morning and book the service <laughs> they don't want to have to wait till 10 a.m and ring somebody they want to be able to do that so we've now got all this in place where they can actually do that unfortunately the minute none of our diaries are live so everything we have to do is confirmed. But we're quite lucky and we have all these online chat facilities. We have the ways they can book in on our website. They can book in through our social media. They can book in in so many different ways. 
and also interact with the sales teams. They can send questions at three o'clock in the morning if they want to. <laughs> they can interact with us in so many different ways. So it's just making sure we're up to date with what's going on out there and keeping ourselves aligned with the way the world is going. Everybody's very different. And especially since COVID, so many people were used to being in the house, just on the computer, learning Google was everybody's best friend. Everybody wants to do things differently. That's changed so many people now. People who are never really were interacted in that way now interact in that way because they're used to Zoom calling with their family. <laughs> There's so many different ways and everybody wants to do things differently. So as long as you still keep the traditional channels open, because there are always people that want to work in the traditional way, but we have so many different aspects now, the way people can interact with us. And we, you've just got to keep it moving. As new things come along, you've got to develop the technology or buy into the right technology that we can take that forward. Yeah, and I, I want to kind of reiterate one of the points that you've just made because it's come up previously and I think it's worth reiterating. And that's that piece around keeping your existing channels. I've had conversations um, with people whereby they've mentioned they've been trying to get in touch with a company and you go to their website and you cannot find their phone number. And it's interesting that some of the, even the FCA's new regulations even allude to some of those things whereby you've got to ensure that you're providing the customer service where the customer is. It's not just about what's convenient. And I think that that's a really key point that you've touched on there because there are customers who do want to be able to pick up a phone and talk to a human being and not have the barriers that some businesses can be kind of prone to putting up there. And I think that's really rewarding for me to hear that that's still a central part of what you're doing. We have Chapel House ways of connecting, but we also have manufacturer ways of connecting. So we have uh, one of our manufacturers is Kia and we have Kia Live Chat. So if we have a Kia customer on with Kia UK, they can then put them through to us and we can pick up that chat. So we do have that with a lot of our manufacturers as well. So it keeps that communication through all channels. So we, we have kept a very close relationship with the manufacturers with customer contact as well, which I think is really helpful. That's fantastic. And it's actually a really elegant way of ensuring a, a continuous customer experience as well. You can really walk that customer journey back and understand how they've got there. I want to cycle back just a little bit to, so we've talked a lot about the contact center, but you're also the database as well. You're in charge of the data side of things. So presumably, I'm going out on a limb here, presumably a lot of your insights come from the data that you have, and that drives a lot of the behavior that gets translated out onto all areas of the business. A lot of the previous conversations that I've had have talked about knowing your data yes. and how important it is to know your data. And we've talked about where to start with your data. And I just wondered if you wouldn't mind just kind of expanding a little bit on your approach to data and what your insights you gain from it, what you look for in your data. I think that'd be really valuable if that's okay. Yeah, no problem. So the database side, the main priority that I have is keeping our data clean. You've got to keep your data clean. You've got to make sure everything's up to date. If a customer requests to be removed or if the customer's unfortunately passed on, you need to make sure you update that database. Now, we've got a few different databases in our business. We have our after-sales database and we have our sales database, which is a completely different system. So it's making sure these two databases talk to each other or everything updates. So I manage all that side of things. I also pull a lot of the reports for our systems, for our managers. 
I pull a lot of data off the systems and I pull all our data for marketing. So any events that we've got going on, we pull up live data from the system. So keeping that really clean is the most important thing that we do. But also for me, coming from the sales admin, your data is only as good as what you put into it. I can only get out what is put in. So it's making sure that data is actually actually put in the system correctly. So we have numerous monthly reports that come out with the guards, admin errors and after sales errors that have to be actioned. So we know if they've put a date incorrectly, if they've put a get details on the day instead of an email address or anything like that, we can clearly see that on a report that gets out sent out every single week. So it's got to be updated. So we've got to keep our data 100% clean at all times. And I think that why having that role along with the call centre side of the role is obviously I'm pulling all the data for our service and MOTs are due and manipulating that data into what we need it to be. So I know exactly what's gone into that. So I know what I can pull out of it. It's developed, it's changed a lot over the years. There's so many better ways of reporting, so many better ways of managing the data and keeping it up to date. But I just, I find knowing all aspects of the business now is really beneficial with the data because if a salesperson's running a certain event and they want certain data, I know exactly what they need, what to get. I know how to clean that data so it's correct. I know how to make it GDPR so that they are actually contacting customers that are allowed to be contacted. So I am the only one that manages that for our whole business. And I'm the only one that pulls the data for our whole business. And the reason that that is just me is because I know the ins and outs of it completely. I do have some my supervisor who can help me out if I'm on holiday or annual leave, but it tends to fall to me. And I'm lucky because we're not a massive, great big group, so I'm able to do that. But I, I'm the only one who controls all that just because I know exactly how everything's done, how everything is pulled, how the date, how the reports are set up, how the data's pulled out of it. So just keeping on top of it, really. <laughs> making sure it's all clean and, you know. No pressure at all, as they say. No pressure at all. It's fine. Yeah. I completely understand. And I, I really liked what you said about the importance of your data going in clean as it can be. And then very early on, being able to identify which of that data needs to be reviewed and updated as necessary or re removed if the case is there. So I'm conscious of time. And I've got one more question for you before I think we, we need to wrap it up. This one's a bit of a fun one for you. So you started off as a sales administrator. You're now contact center manager. If you were to give your sales administrator days self one piece of advice, what would the piece of advice that contact center manager you would give to sales administrator you? Spelling mistakes and email addresses. Make sure they're right. <laughs> That would be my number one piece of advice because this is something that is the bane of my life. <laughs> so it's just making sure that data is correct. If you put in a .com in instead of a .co.uk, it's these little minute details. It's attention to detail. That would be my one piece of advice to myself back in the day. Attention to detail. Because as a sales administrator, I didn't understand the importance of making sure it's a Mr. or a Mrs. or a Miss. That is really important. There's so many customers that get offended if you're if they're in the system as a missus, if they're a ms or a miss, 
it's really important to have somebody's identity correct in the system. And just to have that email address right with not spaces, the correct at sign, the correct dot com, the correct Gmail or Hotmail or that's really important. The attention to detail when they're adding the customers into the system it is huge. And it's human error that causes us the most issues with that database. So it's just those little things, really. The attention to detail is definitely the thing that I deal with all the time. Yep. No, I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Thank you. I'm conscious of time. We are approaching the end of our episode. So I would like to take just one more opportunity to say thank you ever so much. We've been listening to myself, Sean McIver, and Jane Halton of Chapel House Motor Group. So yeah, thank you ever so much for your time to JT. Thank you. Thank you. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.